All right, so uh, let's turn our Bibles to, uh, actually, if you could stay in Exodus 20, 20s, right now we'll come to that in just a moment, and we'll do a little review from last week. Um, we left off with a story about how Aaron, who was the high priest, and Miriam, I mean, look at the face on Miriam right there. Whenever a woman looks at you that way, you're in trouble, right? You know it's coming. And then you've got uh, Moses, and they're coming saying, we want more leadership. Just who do you think you are? And so God hears them arguing uh, among themselves, and so he, he comes forward, and uh, he says, I need to meet with all three of you. So they come, and then he has Aaron and Miriam come forward out of that group. And I think Miriam's probably the one that led it, even though Aaron was a part of it, because she's the one that got leprosy for seven days for complaining about Moses being the leader. They wanted to share it all three equally and not Moses being the main guy. And she's like, I, you know, you wouldn't even be alive if it weren't for me, putting you out there in the bulrushes that day. And God says, now, wait a minute. Moses is the guy I'm charged. You don't complain about your spiritual leaders. Just stop. Just stop. Moses is spiritual leaders. Just stop it. And so I, I thank God for this. Like what they did there privately among the, the three of them, that private sin, it could be fixed in seven days because seven days later, Miriam was cleansed, healed of her leprosy because Moses humbly asked God. Aaron repented for doing it, and she was healed seven days from that leprosy. But I, I want to share with you something this morning. It's really important to share it with the first service as well, Okay. There are some sins that we can commit that can't be fixed in seven days. They can't be fixed in seven weeks. They may not even be fixed in seven years. And I want to talk specifically about one of those in particular today. And I just want to warn you, like, this is one you want to stay away from because it can cause problems for years to come. Okay? I want to introduce you to some new guys here today. They're Aaron's sons. These would be Moses' nephews. Uh, the firstborn was Nadab. There was Abihu, second, and then Eleazar, and then Ithamar. These were the names of the sons of Aaron, the anointed priests, whom Aaron ordained to serve as priests. Now, I'm not saying that nepotism's wrong here. It's okay. God was okay with Aaron's sons being the priests, Okay. Uh, and they were a part of a group that went with Moses half, not halfway, but part of the way up Mount Sinai as Moses went up there to get the Ten Commandments. You remember the story of like the Charlton Heston movie where God writes with a finger of fire onto the, to the tablets there, the Ten Commandments? Well, that wasn't all that he got up there. He, he got a whole list. A bunch of chapters were written in the book of Exodus about here, is, here are the rules Here's how you worship me. Here's how I want you to run the camp. Here are going to be your civil laws, how you run your courts. All these laws were in there, okay? So as Moses is going up to get those laws, he meets with the 70 leaders, guys from the 12 tribes. You have uh, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and then Joshua's going up into these rugged mountains up there. And Moses says, I'm going to be up there for a while. God's going to speak to me, and then when I come back, I'll deliver God's word for God's people. Part of those laws that God gave them were the sacrificial laws. He says, when you're offering a lamb, give it with a grain offering and drink. They would pour a little wine on it to cook it. Uh, this would be a, a, an aroma, a pleasing aroma to God. He says, when you do these burnt offerings throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent meeting before, before the Lord, 
It's there that I'm going to meet with you and speak with you. Now watch this. What God does through these chapters is he says, here's a very specific way I want you to do worship. This is how you're going to do your sacrifices. And even to the detail of this is how I want you to prepare the fire to burn these sacrifices, to cook them for you. You're going to cook it at this temperature this way. The meat's got to be this way. The grain's got to be this way. God's very specific, and he deserves to be specific. Here's the way I desire to be worshipped, and I want you to do it exactly the way I tell you to from the way you even start the fire. Okay, so God's giving him all these things. And he says, and when you're doing these worship things at the, at the tent of meeting, you can also have your sons there, sons of Aaron, and I will consecrate them to serve me as priests. Okay, so Nadab and Abihu, they're going to get ordained as pastors for those people. Okay, but here's what happens. Let's say you're gathering together for Thanksgiving this week, and then uh, Grandpa goes out for a walk, and Grandpa's 80 years old. Now, Grandpa's gone two or three hours after walk. What are you going to start thinking? Where's Grandpa? Is there a problem? If Grandpa is out uh, in an area like this, and he's been gone for 12 hours, this is what it looks like the region of Sinai, and he's been gone for 12 hours, now what are you going to do? Like, you're going to go for a search. You can probably do more than a search. He's been gone 12 hours. Probably what are you going to do? You're calling the police. Like, we got a problem here. If Grandpa's been gone 24 hours, 48, if the family's together 72 hours later and Grandpa's gone, now what are you starting to think? He's dead. You don't even want to say it, do you? Grandpa might be dead. And that's what happens with Moses. He's been gone 40 days and 40 nights. Out there with just Joshua in this rugged of a terrain. And he's not coming back. So the people see this. And they do what most people would do. They saw that Moses was delayed and they gathered themselves and they came to Aaron and they said, Get up. Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, they didn't just say as for Moses, this Moses. You can see the derision. They still haven't bought into him as their leader. The man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of them. Now, what should Aaron have said at this point in time? He's the vice president of the people of Israel, okay? He's the number two guy. He's there. Moses has been gone 40 days, 40 nights, but he told him, I'm going to be gone a while. I'm going to get all the law from God. God has told them that I'm going to send Moses back to you with my, law, with my laws. What should Aaron have done at this point? Told him to wait. That's exactly like God said he was coming back with the laws. God's going to be true with his promise. But let me tell you what. What, does the, what is the first thought that's going to come to Mike Pence's mind if Donald Trump has a heart attack? What's the first thing that's going to come to his mind? I'm in charge now. And so the same thing that Aaron had a problem with earlier, like wanting to be in, in charge, God's given him another opportunity to do the right thing here. And to honor who's in spiritual authority over him. So what does Aaron do? He says, take off the rings of gold. They're in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears, and they brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with a graving tool. And he made a golden calf. And they said... These are your gods, O Israel, 
who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I mean, this is just within a year of when they saw the miracle of the party of the Red Sea, of when they saw the birds gathered around so they had food and the manna every single day and God giving them water from a rock when they thought they were going to die of thirst. God gave them all these things and now they're worshiping this golden cow? And every, the Bible tells us every kind of sin that could be going on in that camp was going on during the 40th day. How quickly, when we don't see things going the way we want them to go, do we turn and start taking matters into our own hands? Yeah, I know this is what the Bible teaches about marriage, or I know it's what it tells about relationships, or I know it tells about forgiveness, but this isn't working out for me in the time frame that I want, so I'm going to do things in the time frame that I want. Now Moses comes back down when the party's going on. He sees the calf and all the dancing and the wickedness going on, and his anger burned hot. Now, I like this part of Moses because it tells me that even though we learned last week he was the most humble man in all the earth, he's still just a man. And he's got those two tablets with him coming down the mountain, and he's so angry. You ever been like this? You're just so mad at what's going on. You just He throws the tablets down and breaks them in front of the people. You'd be more worthy of receiving the law from God. He took the calf that they had made and he burned it with fire. He melted down that gold and he ground it in the powder and then he threw it out on the pond where they were all drinking and then he made them all drink it. Now, I just like that. I don't know what kind of power he had over them. Like two million people are like, get down on your face and you drink that water. And they're like, oh, this is gross. Drink it. I'm just seeing. I'm, I'm sure they weren't happy about it. It's going to make you sick to your stomach. You're going to drink it and you're going to like it. I mean, it's one of those deals. So they're drinking it. You know, he's watching all these people. Oh, what a mistake we made. We're sorry, you know. And then while they're doing this, Moses looks over his brother Aaron. And he says, what did this people do to you? that you have brought such this great sin upon them. I mean, like, did they hold a knife through your throat? Did they threaten your son's lives? What did they do to you to get you to act this way, Aaron? Dude, you're my brother. Aaron said, man, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. Now watch, he's humbling himself now. He knows he's in trouble. He says, sorry, boss. When he calls him my Lord, that's just the word for boss. Hey, boss, sorry, don't fire me. Watch what he does next. He says, Moses, you know these people, that they are set on evil. Watch he's do what is he doing? He's passing the blame. This is what terrible leaders do. Leaders always blame the sheep for being sheep. Instead of taking responsibility, I didn't lead them the way I should have. God, this wife you gave me, as Adam said in the garden, these kids just won't obey me. It's their fault. They're just honoring. My wife, man, she just won't respond to my spiritual leadership. This church, they just won't. That's what weak leaders do. They blame sheep for being sheep. Watch what he says next. For, for they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. And as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's becoming of him. So I said to them, 
Well, let any of that gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I just threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. I don't know how it happened. It just, there it was. This is the thing that Aaron is struggling with, that we all struggle with. In fact, we all revel in it at times. It's Frank Sinatra's number one song. I faced it all, and I stood tall. When it came to this life, what? I did it my way. We all love it. People played at funerals. I did it my way. I'm the man. I want to be the head honcho. I want everybody doing what I say to do. And so here Aaron did it in front of all to see, including his sons, Nadab and Abihu. Now some time goes by. We see these fellows again. We haven't seen them for a while. They've just kind of been standing behind watching their dad. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer. This is Leviticus 10, verse 1. Censer is like their fire pot. And they put fire in it, and they laid incense on it, and they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. In other words, they didn't go prepare the fire over here the way they were supposed to. In their minds, they were just thinking, man, what the fire's fire? I mean, it doesn't matter what, where I start the fire or how I do the fire. It's going to burn the sacrifice like, like any fire is going to do. So to go through all these details and follow all these steps that everybody's saying we should do, we're not going to do that. Let's, come on, let's just, come here, Nadab. Let's just get this fire started. Bye, come here. Let's just get it. Come on, we've got to hurry up and get this, this sacrifice done so we can eat dinner. Watch what happens next. But then fire came out from before the Lord, and it consumed them. It died before the Lord. I'm going to hit you this with this just a little bit because I need you to understand the severity problem. Because Aaron was always at the tent. We, we play this game when we're traveling sometimes with my kid. I did it with kids in the youth group. Don't do it with little kids. It'll make them a little crazy. It's psychologically disturbing what I did. I did this with many of your kids when they were in youth group. It may explain some of the problems they're having now, okay? Uh, but we play this game called Would You Rather. Have any of you ever played the game Would You Rather with us before? All right, and so what we do is we each start taking turns. Would you rather eat Mexican or Italian? We'll start out with the easy one. You know, and everybody tell, well, why do you choose that, okay? Would you rather vacation at Disney World or Hawaii? All right, why do you feel that way? People go back and forth. And then we get to some gross one. Would you rather eat shrimp that had been laying out 24 hours or rancid beans. Which would you rather, you know? And then people give why and all the intestinal reasons that go with that. And one time I asked this question. I said, would you rather die by drowning or by being burned alive? And I'll just ask you as the audience today, how many of you would rather burn alive as opposed to drown? Raise your hand. You would rather burn. You would rather burn, you don't like the water, all right? Yeah, Janet, you're the only weird hand. Uh, yeah, a couple, like, it's a rare answer. Like, once in a while, it, you think it's, what if it's a slow burn? All right. So, <laughs> like, let me just ask you this. What if it were your kid? What if two of your kids, What? When the, I read an article the other day about a parent who got out of a house and then heard that their children were still inside and then found out that their ki children had burned in the fire. 
and they heard the screams. Now, if you're a parent, and that were happening to your kids, is what was happening to Aaron right in front of his face. There's not a good parent in here that wouldn't say, man, I would trade places with him. I don't want that my kid to burn. Watch what, how Moses and Aaron respond. Moses said to Aaron, this, Aaron, is what the Lord but brother, I don't know how to tell you any other way. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people, I will be glorified. In other words, you're going to set me apart, and you're going to worship me the way I say to be worshipped. This time, what does Aaron say, or what excuses does he make? It took this event... For Aaron to figure out, you don't complain about God in his ways, and you don't attack the spiritual leaders that God has placed above you and your family. You don't do it. And I'm just sharing with you here as parents this morning, I pour my heart out to you because I've seen this time and time again through youth ministry and now adult ministry. Listen to what I'm saying. Don't do what Miriam and Aaron did, what Aaron did when Moses was away. Whatever you do, don't do this. Don't call out the spiritual leaders in your lives over non-primary theological issues. Don't do it. You can ask questions privately. If your spiritual leader is your husband or the spiritual leader of your kids is the mother, you don't call them out. You don't throw them under the bus in front of your spouse, in front of your kids. And I'm just telling you, when you do this with kids and teens, they can't handle it, especially with pastors and youth pastors. If you complain, they they may not like the way this is being done over here, but if you complain to them about something that is just a personal preference going on, it's a non-primary theological issue, they will have a difficult time not separating who that is in their relationship with Christ. They may say they do, but what I'm telling you is you are planting spiritual seeds of rebellion in your children that will reap fruit later. If you have problems with a spiritual leader in your life, spouse, church leader, you go to them privately. You don't throw them under the bus with your loved ones. Someone say, well, what if they do this? What if you do that? I'm just saying, here's the question you asked. Is this a matter of primary doctrinal importance? That's the question you asked. That's the only time. I would do it. If I were in church and one of our shepherds said some primary theological error from the pulpit, I would go to them privately, and then I would tell my kids, this was wrong today. But it'd have to be chapter and verse and right up there. But typically, just listen, church, people don't call out other people on theology. Why? Here it is. It's because we don't value our theology all that much. We value other things more, whether or not our kid's happy, whether or not they're being accepted, whether or not they're feeling loved, whether or not my kid wants to be there. 
I remember when I, when I was doing youth ministry, I would do these surveys. I would hand them out to parents. What could I do better in youth ministry? What suggestions do you have for me? And it was amazing. Like, the 120 kids that were coming, I was the greatest youth pastor ever for their parents. Parents were like, Steve's the greatest. We love him. And his teaching's awesome, all right? But for the five kids that didn't want to come because they were involved in whatever at school and they were just kind of wanting to set out and fade out or whatever, parents were like, man, he's a bad youth pastor. He didn't know what he's doing. What's the difference? It's the same guy doing the same teaching. What's going on? Let me ask this another way. As adults, what causes disunity in your own homes or in churches? Is it primary doctrinal issues? Or is it things like where you're spending your money or the color of carpet? Or what car are you going to buy? Or a service time? Or a style of music at church? You know, rarely does anyone ever come up to us and say, I don't like the lyrics to that song. I don't think they're theologically correct. It's almost always about personal preferences. So here's a more underlying question. If I can drill down with, deeply with you all, just for a moment. Listen, here's my question. Why do we get upset, attack leadership, or even lead, leave a church over personal preferences? And why do we rarely bat an eye over primary doctrinal issues? Here's the answer. It's because personal preferences are about doing things the way we like them, and theology focuses on things the way God likes them. I'll say that again. Is because our personal preferences are arguments about the way we like them, and theology focuses on doing things the way God likes them. And my friends, listen, God's preferences are far more important than our own personal desires. Francis Chan, uh, a pastor out in California, I like listening to his stuff. He remarked one time that people were filing out of church one Sunday. He's doing the pastor shake hand thing. And uh, as they're coming out, one of, the person, one of the people said to him, they said, I really didn't like the way we did worship today. And he just smiled and went back. He said, that's okay. We weren't worshiping you. <laughs> Here's one of the things I want you to understand. Because proper worship of God is of the utmost importance, we have to worship God the way he tells us to worship him, not the way we want to worship him. And listen, people are flocking to churches all over these United States out of personal preferences today, and rarely are people asking, what is the primary theological doctrine behind the concept and philosophy of worship here? I don't think I've ever had anybody come visit our church and call me and just say, hey, I just know about your philosophy of worship and your view of the Bible before I visit. But man, they're looking on website to see what kind of music we do, what kind of youth programs we have. Listen, my friends, all those things are secondary and tertiary to our ultimate faithfulness to God's word. Worshiping God the way he is supposed to be worshipped, the way he describes that he should be worshipped, is more important than evangelism. In fact, listen, the only reason we do evangelism is so that God will be worshipped properly. 
That's why we do evangelism. It's more important than our discipleship programs. You know why? Because the only reason we do discipleship programs is so that God will be worshipped properly. The only reason we give money to missions is so the gospel can go forth and so people in other nations can learn how to do what? Worship God properly. Are you getting it? The reason we have children's ministries is not to make the kids happy or your family to work well. It's so that ultimately children will learn what? How to? All right, like three of you get it. Maybe I'll have to preach this sermon again. Let's try it again. The reason we do youth ministry is so the teenagers in our youth group can learn how to? Uh, Y'all really don't want me to do this sermon again. I can see, like you responded that time. I'm glad, okay? So here's what I'm going to do over the next few minutes. i got 18 minutes left with you, and I want to break these down. The seven things that we learn in Scripture, if you're going to worship God properly, these are the seven things you have to do, all right? If you don't do these things, then you haven't worshiped God properly, and look out the fire from Nate Evan by who may be heading your way, all right? Here we go. Number one, okay, I want you to look at this verse on the board. What is the first thing we have to do if we worship God properly? You ready? Say it on the count of three. One, two, three. I knew you were going to say that, but it's not. What's the first command in this? Come. If you're not here, you're not. What is that going to do? Okay? You got to come. This is what we were talking about the first few weeks ago. Like some people say, man, I'll just worship watching the screen today. Then you haven't obeyed this verse. Listen, unless you are sick, out of town, or forced to work, you need to be in the house of the Lord for weekly worship services. That's just, this is the command of God. You want to worship God the way he prescribes you should be worshiped? Then the first thing you have to do is show up. You got to be here, okay? And now that you're here over a hundred times in the scriptures, we see the next command. And now, what's the next command? We need to, you're going to get this one, sing, right? We need to sing a hundred times that this is in the Bible. I don't know of any other command in the Bible that is in there a hundred times that we're okay with people disobeying. And it even gives it, for those of you who can't sing on key, this next part of the verse is for you. Let us make a joyful. Noise, all right? That for a lot of you, when you sing, it's noise, but God loves it, okay? I've got to say this. During the, the song today, I was really encouraged by this section over here, okay? Because you guys were singing. I mean, I just, I really want to give you that. Like, there were more people in this section this morning uh, at the 9 a.m. than over there, but you guys were louder, all right? Thank you for being obedient to this. Some of you were singing well. Some of you were making a joyful noise. I'm thankful for both. Okay? Lord gave you your voice. Let it out. Why are we making a joyful noise? Because of the rock of our salvation. This is what I want to share with you, church family. Listen to what I'm saying. Man, listen. If, if you're out by the highway and your four-year-old runs out in the middle of the road and a friend sees that you're distracted and they run out and grab your child right before they run over by a Mack truck and bring them back over to the side, how are you going to respond to that? Are you going to say... Hey, thanks. I'm glad you did that. Welcome over. No, you're going to be, oh, thank you so much. You saved my child's life. My life would have never been the same without this, this child of mine. You would be ecstatic. You would, thank you. You would tell other people. You'd put it on Facebook. Man, this person was great. They saved my kid today. I can't get, you'd get a thousand likes on there. Okay? Listen, every week we're showing up 
to praise God for saving not only our lives, but hopefully someday your children's as well. To save them from that consuming fire. So to come in here and not be singing. I mean, I just, I don't want to say that the, the next verse says it this way. It says, let us come, there it is again, into his, ha- his presence with thanksgiving. Man, this, this is a key to happiness. You know that a, a thankful heart is a happy heart. The people that are the most happy in life are the people who are most thankful for what they have. And the people that are, who are the most miserable are the people who aren't thankful for what they have. So this is the key. You want to be happy in the presence of the Lord? You want to come to him and worship him the way he does? Then be thankful for what he has done for you. Be thankful for what he has given you. Don't always be lusting for things that other people have. And then it says again, because of this thanksgiving we want to give to him, we're all going to make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. We are coming here to sing. Let me, let me say this again another way. If, you, if the Bible commands you to do something and you don't do it, there's a three-letter word for that. It starts with S, it ends with N, and there's a capital Y in the middle. What's it called? Sin. So if you're not singing and the Bible commands you to do it when you're at worship, then you are what? Sinning. You're either singing or you're sinning. And this is why we had the camera set up there and we scanned during the morning service this morning. I got pictures of who was actually singing and who wasn't singing during the service, all right? So turn to the screen. You're going to see pictures up there. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that, all right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so you're like, Woo-hoo, I was dead. I haven't sung in 10 years. All right, so, no, I really didn't do that to you. Like, that would have been awful, wouldn't it? No, that would have been funny, really, if it's what would happen, but I didn't do it. All right, I really wanted to do that. Okay, so, anyway, so I just want to encourage you, man, when you come to church, man, God commands you to make a joyful noise. And for some of you, it sounds better than others, but for all of you, it's the voice that God gave you. He wants you to come. He wants you to sing. He wants you to be thankful, and here's something he wants everybody to do. This is for every church, Paul says. I direct all the churches to do this. On the first day of every week, that would be their Lord's Day, their Sunday, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. In other words, we don't want to take special offerings when missionaries come to town. We want to take an offering on the first day of every week so that when we see a missionary has a need, we don't have to take a special offering. We can just send it. This is why about one out of four, one out of three dollars that come in goes to do missions around the world. Two out of three, three out of four dollars goes to do missions right here in this local community. This is part, is when we come to worship God, we give. Another thing that we do, this is the verse that Jesus quoted when he cleaned out the money changers from the temple. He says, these I will bring to my holy mountain, and I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. This will be a house of prayer. Man, there's supposed to be joy in this room. Man, I I just, we got to remind you, like, if I would ask of you, how many are joyful that the Lord has saved you? Like, most of you would raise your hands. Listen, if you've got that joy in your heart, please tell your face. Be happy. For my house should be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Thank God this is something the charismatics got on us. When Baptists pray, you know, if anybody's watching from the outside, it's like, we are depressed. We're like, oh, 
Man, these people must feel awful when they talk to their God. Charismatics are like, whoo, praise the Lord. Be joyful in your prayers. Be happy about it when we're worshiping God. So we would give, we will pray, and then we come to the point of the worship service where we listen to the word of God and we apply it to our lives. This is what Paul is saying at the end of his sermon. I appeal to you, brothers, sermon to the Romans, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What he's saying here is to kill your personal preferences and sacrifice them as a holy and acceptable offering to God. This is your spiritual act of worship is when you kill your personal preferences and you worship God according to his. The commands for the proper worship of God throughout all the scriptures are the only, listen, they're the only commands in the New Testament where many people clearly ignore these, these seven things that I just shared with you, but the church is okay with it. Why are we okay with it? Why are we okay with people not coming and still being a member a year later? Why are we okay with people not singing? Why are we okay with people who complain all the time? Why are we okay with people that don't give, that don't pray, that don't listen, that scroll through Facebook during church or whatever, and then certainly aren't applying to it? Why are we okay with that? I'll tell you why. It's because we aren't the ones who are getting cheated when they do those things. But let me tell you about the sins we do hear about that people aren't okay with. If someone keeps lying to a member of this church, I'll hear about it. If someone is stealing from someone else in this church or from the church, I'll hear about it. We'll do something about that. If someone is using unkind words to other people, we'll hear that or they'll leave the church. But we're okay with not worshiping God the way he prescribes. Why? Here it is. Here it is. Because worship has become about us and our personal preferences and not about the glory of Almighty Jesus. Our members can offer strange fire every week. All across the country, churches are doing this. And no one says a thing. But listen, God He's taking note because his worship and his glory, as he describes it, far outweighs everything else that the church could ever think or hope to do. Listen, my friends, the church is not for your personal family happiness or to meet your personal preferences. Churches split over the color of the carpet moving furniture, style of music, but rarely do you hear of a church splitting because of a primary theological doctrinal issue. Why? Because we care about the things of men and not the things of God. Do you get that, church? What is wrong with us? And here's the thing. When we adapt this and we're talking about our preferences and we complain about spiritual leaders and our kids hear that just like Nadab and Abihu heard it, and they see us wanting our personal preferences in our homes and being divisive when we don't get them. And they learn from us that it's okay to skip worship services for sports or school activities or so you can spend the night with a friend. 
When they see us offering this strange fire, come to worship and do it however you want or whatever makes you happy or you find your truth. Listen, you might get away with that with some of your kids, but I'm just telling you, you're not going to get away with all of them. You're going to have kids that drop out in the future who rebel against you, who all of a sudden don't want to be here. Why? Because they've heard you swear and complain and give all your issues about how things aren't being run the way you prefer them instead of subjugating your personal preferences to your spouse, to your loved ones in your home, to your local church. And then we wonder why our kids end up like Nadab and Abihu. Some of your kids are watching you not coming not singing, not giving, not praying, not paying attention, and they just might end up worshiping a golden calf or going to some church where they've got this so-called unbiblical Jesus where they can just worship however they want God and a God of their imagination. And listen, that fake Jesus at these fake churches will not save them and he will not save your grandchildren. So what do we do? What do we do to fix this? Now, I'm just going to tell you right now. I'm going to tell you what the answer is, and some of you are going to fight it right now. Some of you are fighting it right now. You're like, but that pastor was wrong. It has nothing to do with the theological issue. I was right to complain to my kid. I was right to complain to my kids about my husband. I was right to throw my wife under the bus. You're just fighting it right now, going back to I wanted it my way. Here's God's word for you. This is the only way that rebellious seed is not going to be passed down. is if you humble yourselves before the Lord so that he can exalt you. Man, I'm just telling you, with 10 problems, none of them can be fixed with humility. You've got 10 problems, none of them can be fixed if you just show some humility. What does that mean? That means you go and you humble yourself and you say, you remember what I said about that pastor? Remember what I said about your mom? I was out of line. I should have never done that. That was a seed of rebellion in my heart, and unfortunately you heard it, and I planted it in yours, and I am sorry, and I was wrong. And I'm going to try to do better in the future. Forgive me. And your teenager or your kid will say, oh, mom, it's not that big deal. Oh, dad, don't worry about it. No, it is a big deal, and I am sorry. I should never do it. If you ever hear me call out your mom or dad or throw them under the bus again, or you hear me speaking ill of a pastoral leader at our church, and it's not a primary doctrinal issue, it's just a matter of preference, then just stop me right there. I'll give you permission to do it, son. Prophet Joel says it this way, thank God we serve a merciful God. It says, rend your hearts, not your garments. You don't need a big deal. Like, don't rip your clothes. Don't wail and play around. Just, like, turn your heart over to God. He says, listen, man, this is a gracious God that we serve. If you've made these mistakes, this is how you can fix it, okay? It may not be fixed quickly. If you've been sowing seeds of rebellion for seven years, don't think that it's going to fix your, your kids are going to be fixed in a seven-second conversation. It's not going to happen. But if you constantly and repeatedly worship the God the way that he says, if you don't go against and rebel against the spiritual leaders of your life, it says this, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and he is merciful and he's slow to anger. He and his he is abounding 
and steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. There might be disaster heading your family's way, but this is what Joel is saying to you. Who knows whether God will turn and relent, and instead of giving a curse upon your children, he will bring a, leave a blessing behind you for your children and your grandkids. And I, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, some of you are in here this morning with parents who aren't going to do this. Some of you are sitting here right now, your parents are in the room, and they're not going to get in the car today, and they're not going to apologize because deep down right now, they're doubling down on their rebellious heart because your dad wasn't right. They should have said, because your mom would, shouldn't have done what she did, because that pastor should have been more sensitive, because, and they're just sitting here justifying themselves, and I'm just begging you, teenagers, young adults, I'm just going to tell you, if your parents are that way, don't be like them. Turn from it. Run from it. Pray for them. Don't speak a word against them because they are your spiritual leaders, but pray to God on their behalf that someday they will humble themselves before the Lord and worship him the way he deserves and honor the spiritual authorities he's placed in their lives. I beg you. And if you do that, then God will leave a blessing behind you more than anyone in your family. 